to the first episode of North of the Shire, and I'm Don, and I'm here with my buddy Drew. How's it going, Drew? It's going all right. Yourself? Doing very well, very well. Um, so yeah, we're finally doing this podcast thing. Finally. Yeah, it's been a while. I think we first started talking about doing a show probably about five years ago or so. I, I think that's about it. Yeah, about five years ago, and we had an idea for the name and the, the concepts, but then uh, life takes a hold of you. Yeah, a lot, a lot <laughs> has happened in the last five years that has uh, kept us both busy. But uh, originally, yeah, we were going to be... Uh, we we're going to be doing Canadian Shire because we're mm-hmm. Canadians, um, and eventually Canadian Shire became became the name of uh, an annual tournament that we run over here. Um, so we just decided to do a little bit of a spin on on that name uh, for the podcast and and call it North of the Shire. Yeah, no, I think I think that's what we that we our goal was, you know, North of the Shire and. and I, also, to give people some context, you know, we're from Canada, so it's of the Great White North, and uh, uh, we're talking about the Middle Earth Strategy Battle Game in the Shire. That's right. So I guess we should probably talk a, a little bit about uh, the podcast and what it's all going to be about. Uh, obviously, you already mentioned we're, we're going to primarily be talking about uh, Middle Earth Strategy Battle Game by Games Workshop, um, but you never know. We'll probably throw a little bit of other content in there along the way i think so i we could talk about some other games workshop games that we're playing or not playing and um maybe step into the lore section of middle earth that's unrelated to the game itself that's right um so so other than the game yeah we're gonna we're gonna talk about like the armies uh that are involve the different army lists missions even get into the models and the hobby at large yeah my my big passion is to focus on or from from my purposes anyways is to focus on the tactical side of things i love a good hobby discussion don't get me wrong but when it comes to talking about tactics and which armies make the most competitive uh play style have the most competitive play styles that's that's my that's my uh, my jam yeah, well, that's kind of who you are in, in the in the hobby, uh, and we'll get more into, uh, you know, what we both bring to to this topic, uh, to this podcast, and it's worth mentioning, I think, at this point that um, we do plan on having four hosts, not just mm-hmm. uh, Drew and myself. Uh, we do have uh, two others that we hope to be regulars on the show in uh, Garrett and Chris. Yeah, uh, I think you've done some work um, with Garrett on our adventures in Middle Earth on uh, YouTube, have you not? I have, yes. He's kind of been, we kind of co-hosted that um, uh, YouTube channel, uh, I guess we'd call it. And yeah, we haven't been able to do too much with that lately obviously due to the current situation it's been well it's been impossible to get together <laughs> let's just face it um but yeah I, I would talk a little bit more about that when uh we sort of just dis- discuss our sort yes of exactly i guess so do you want to start off with your background i can certainly do that 
my name's Don, obviously. Um, one thing, it's a, a little, I, I guess, not all that typical about about me is that I'm quite a bit older than the than the average uh, member of the community. I'm 57 years old, so uh, yeah, I'm uh, a little bit up there in age. <laughs> Uh, so bring in perhaps a little bit more experience. I've been involved in uh, the Games Workshop hobby since the mid 80s uh, when I bought my first package of the old Beaky Space Marines when they were first released, um, uh, which I still have, by the way. Uh, <laughs> and I think even before that, um, playing role-playing games, Games Workshop used to sell individual fantasy miniatures wrapped in sort of a plastic bag with a little cardboard folded tab on the top citadel miniatures and we used to buy those for role playing that would have been probably in the early 80s or i don't know maybe even the late 70s um so that would have been before yeah, we're going I was born. way back in, into ancient times here <laughs> um what else i like i run locally here uh, I run and have been for about 20-odd years a, a gaming club uh, in town here um, with another guy. And over the years, there's been, you know, a couple of people that have helped run the club. So, And that's mostly board gaming, miniature gaming, card gaming, sort of the whole gambit. So um, got lots of experience with board games and role-playing games and been like a sort of always played D&D my whole life, so long-time D&D player. Um, what else? I guess, you know, playing Games Workshop games all these years, I've pretty much played almost <laughs> all of their systems at one point or another. Um, a lot of their smaller box games I've had like Battlefleet Gothic, Blood Bowl, you know, uh, even way back Talisman, which they no longer produce that one, Space Hulk, like it's so many different games, uh, played a lot of them. Uh, was a longtime 40k player, played 40k, obviously mentioned the Beaky Marines. Uh, I kind of quit playing 40k probably about t 10 years ago, I think. Um, it, yeah, it was around 5th yeah, or 6th edition, something like that. I never, at one point, I never ever thought I would not be playing 40k, um, just because I loved it so much. But over the years, it just got further and further and further away from being a skirmish game, and and that's what I love in any kind of game. It's like the closer it is to a skirmish game, the better I like it. Um, and so eventually, I just kind of stopped playing 40k. I still have all my stuff and. You know, I usually get in one or two games in each edition just to to check it out. So now that ninth is here, I'll probably probably pull one of my armies out and play a game, and realize it's probably still not for me. Rolling like sixty dice at a time and and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but whatever, it is what it is. I do love the models for the game. I do love the story and background. Uh, and if I were to play that game, it would certainly be in the the narrative side. Uh, as far as uh, Middle Earth goes, um, I'm a huge Tolkien fan, always have been. It's what got me into role playing and gaming. Um, I've probably read Lord of the Rings 10 times, um, at least, either actually reading 
my very well-worn copy of it or listening to it um, audio, which I, I have a very long commute to work, so I, I listen to it every year at least once. Uh, right now I'm, I'm listening for the first time to the sort of unofficial version that um, the guys on Out of the Frying Pan talk about it all the time, and I forget who it is. Is it Dragash or something like that? Um, I was able to get a hold of that, and it's a different version. It's kind of an unofficial sort of fan version of it. Um, and it's an unabridged mm -hmm. reading, but it's more of a theatrical performance. So really enjoying that about halfway through it. Um, so yeah, and uh, like I've been playing probably since the game came out in 2001. I think yourself uh, and myself and Garrett, I think, we did a demo game for Lord of the Rings in, uh, back way back in time. It would have been 2002 or three. I forget when Games Workshop used to have, um, uh, what do they call that, Games Day? Games Day, yeah, yeah in Canada. Games Day. They used to have Games Day uh, in Toronto once a year. And we ran, we ran the demo of uh, Lord of the Rings. And they actually, they actually gave us an, like an entire army of Rohan and uh, Isengard, just the plastic stuff. And that plastic stuff that we had from back then is still my Isengard army that I have today. <laughs> right? But yeah, I have a, like, I have a huge collection of Lord of the Rings. Uh, I've got many, many different armies. A lot of them are incomplete because I'm definitely not a guy that starts something and completes it. I'm quite the opposite. Uh, I work on like 10 different things at once and, and usually will probably only finish one of them. Um, and I actually prefer battle companies to the main game. I love the main game, but like battle companies is is the skirmish version of this, and that's what I'm all about. So anyway, that's like a really long discussion of like who I am and and what I do. I guess. I, I remember um, I remember painting those Isengard. Uh, I don't know if you've touched them up over the years. Nah, they're uh, fine. And I, and I remember. Fine. They're fine. <laughs> I remember sitting there and in Garrett's basement, and we were playing on his uh, coffee table, uh, Rohan versus Isengard, just so we can learn the rules prior yeah. to games day. Yeah, and I distinctly yeah, recall that. Yeah, for running the demo, probably a good uh, idea that we know how to play the game. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so my my history is a little bit different, uh, not too much though. Um, so I've been playing miniature games probably for almost 21 years. Oh God, no, 22, 23 years now. I started playing when I was 14, and I remember buying. Um, I remember buying my first set of models from you. Actually, I, I was a 14-year-old kid who biked over to your house to pick up a second edition Warhammer box set to get all the, the rulers and the dice and some of the models. And that was kind of my, um, that was my intro to 40k and to gaming in general. And then from, I don't know, every Friday at 4th Dimension Comics, uh, I remember we would be playing, you'd be playing a game of 40k if you could get lucky enough to grab a table. But for me, the game was always, I, I'm a competitive person when it comes to games in general, so I got into competitive gaming very early on. Uh, and I played 40k till about, I don't know, six years ago, five, six years ago, till 7th edition 
started becoming so bloated with all the different supplements and allies and yeah, this I and think that. You, you, you I, stayed with it like one edition longer than I did, I think. Yeah, I did, I did. Uh, and because there's some, there some key tournaments like Astronomicon, like that was our favorite tournament uh, for like a decade. And a couple of the newer ones we went to, Du Bois, uh, those are the big tournaments I loved going to. But, you know, I think the last time I went to Du Bois, it was more of the enjoyment to be with the people that I went with than the gaming itself, just because it just didn't hold its flair for me anymore. And so I said, you know, I think it's time to move on. And I was kind of rudderless a bit. Uh, and I've been doing D&D along with Dawn for, uh, for quite some time. Um, so that was kind of was scratching the, the role-playing itch, but I wanted to get back into competitive gaming. And I remember Don and Garrett were doing some basement uh, Lord of the Rings games over at his house. And I said, I'll swing by and see what this is all about. And I just remember uh, looking at your, the, the game and how you, I think you're playing, like Garrett was playing elves and you were playing Isengard. And immediately I was like, this is the game for me. We're doing this. And I got into it. Um, and I, I distinctly recall Garrett saying, geez, you're breaking this game. You're really taking the fun of bringing all the competitive to it. Because I remember going through that book, the Hobbit book, and saying, Hunter Orcs, they're the good ones. They're the most competitive list. Ally them. And it was just, it just spiraled so fast from there. Well, that, well that's um, what you do, right? You, you break things down to their core uh, and analyze it in a, in a competitive way. And that goes, that goes to your profession, right? Like you're a numbers guy. You're an accountant, um, and also like mm -hmm. just having gamed with you and being buddies with you for so long, it's like I, I don't know anybody that has a like as photographic a memory as as you do. Like I can read the rule book ten times and still have to look up a rule every game, whereas you like you can almost recite rules, and I just I just can't comprehend that. Um, I've noticed that actually um, it's to the point where uh, I'll be playing a game at a tournament and almost invariably someone will turn from their table and shout hey Drew what about this ruling and I'm just like oh it's on page whatever you know this is the rule uh, very rarely am I stumped on a ruling um, which helps because when you're a TO and knowing all the rules it, 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 you can solve those disputes very quickly um, so even though I'm a competitive person, um, and we've been playing in the OSBGL, the Ontario Strategy Battle Game League, um, we were going on our fifth season. Uh, was Six. it our fifth season or sixth season? That was, six was canceled, yeah. Um, so we played five league seasons, and I, uh, I've won the first, the second, and the fourth season. Couldn't finish the trifecta in a row, but... Um, uh, so yeah, I see myself as a very competitive person and I've got sort of the accolades to sort of back that up uh, with the, the tournament wins. Um, and I do like to say that the first tournament win that Don ever had, uh, it was a doubles tournament that I was uh, his doubles partner. <laughs> That's right. I have actually won a tournament once. Yeah. You have won yeah, a tournament in, in once. In spite of being, I don't know if I can actually say this with confidence, but I think in the OSBG, OSBGL. I've probably attended the most tournaments of anybody in the league, um, mm -hmm. having been involved in, in running the league since the beginning, uh, along with a lot of other great people. Uh, and we run, what, between 10 and 12 tournaments a year, 
five, five yeah, years something like so that. you're talking about at least 50 tournaments uh, maybe mm -hmm. missed a handful over the years uh, times four games so you're probably talking 200 games played at, at in tournaments so we're both really experienced in in the game and yeah i have never won a tournament i will say this i will say this it isn't for your lack of skill i do know that you know uh, a good player who doesn't have that sort of uh, ruthless efficiency mindset in building their lists um, it won't do as well as someone who really builds that uh, that super competitive list and i know you're the type of person that doesn't like to bring that super competitive lists but you know I, i've seen you top three top two uh more often than not so don't don't discredit yourself in your competitiveness uh, often the brides <laughs> <laughs> right yeah but like to be fair uh i'm not uh i'm not in it to win it it's it's not my thing i'm not the competitive guy like you you bring the you bring the the tactical competitive edge that's that's what you are you want to you want to play against the best and and beat the best um you know i like i like i like to win everybody does when you're in a tournament setting uh you you should be trying to win um, to be fair to everybody and I always give it my best and I, I have actually gone uh, with a perfect record in two different tournaments and came in second mm -hmm. both times but for me it's more about uh, it's more about the, the game and, and the social side of it uh, rather than rather than actually just the competitive side and and to be to be blunt in the game like I don't play with cavalry mm -hmm. usually so right there, you're not gonna win. Yeah, you don't play with men. You don't play with cavalry. Yeah. You're not gonna win. And like we're we're gonna be talking a bit more about this. I think our discussion for today is gonna be on uh, the game, the meta, the current meta. So it's just a good starting point for, for mm -hmm. a podcast like well, this. Yeah, thoughts on anyway. the current metas is gonna be our first major discussion point, and exactly that. Um, with uh, you know board control being so critical, and and heroes being like the top dog, uh, having them mounted is is a necessity. And and so not bringing those mounted heroes, not bringing that that cavalry on mass, you really you're really putting yourself back and you're handicapping yourself. Um, and I can speak to that from a uh, personal experience in, in a lot of my games actually. So. All right, so that's our introductions, Don. Do you have anything else you'd like to add? Um, probably we could add like a, another word or two about the podcast. I don't really think we talked too much about that. Uh, I think the big mm -hmm. thing we have to, or we should say about the podcast is, obviously we've mentioned that we're uh, in Canada. Um, so, well, we're not based in the UK. So probably have a little bit of a different take on... Uh, on playing the game as like most of the uh, other podcasts out there for this game and and YouTube channels I guess are all based in in the UK um, mm -hmm. and over here and and probably in the rest of the world I, I think uh, it's a, it's a little bit different like we always joke around saying that you know like the UK is like the mecca for for GW you got like a lot of players in, in a small area so it's really easy to uh, pick up a game or have tournaments get lots of players players out um, whereas maybe it's it's definitely not that way uh, here where we are 
um, you know, we've we've kind of built this scene from from the ground up, really, um, and done it on sort of on the model of of the GBHL, really. Um, mm-hmm. But it's it's definitely like you know you hear on other podcasts and stuff about um, taking a quick trip over to Warhammer World or whatever, or um, you know I have a rules question and you know maybe I'll uh, talk to Jay or or Rob about it at the next tournament and it's like what <laughs> just can't relate. Uh, yeah, definitely can't relate to that. <laughs> yeah, so like for for people outside of the UK, you're like entirely reliant on on what the the rule books say right because you can't readily get into conversations like with uh with the rules writers and and that kind of thing anyway just just wanted to sort of mention that because i think that's important for for the listeners to know that um in that sense we have a very different perspective on on playing the game and tournaments and and uh, rules queries and and all of that Mm-hmm. I, I also think, you know, uh, you know, when, when we sort of have these discussions about meta and uh, talking about competitive players and, and types of armies that it sort of appear, um, our player base is smaller than the UK just by virtue of geography. I mean, I think uh, where we live, um, our province, is the size of the UK, yeah. uh, if not bigger. Uh, and so... Um, and you know it, the UK fits the entire population of Canada in the, the, essentially the size of where we live, and so you have a much larger uh, player base, and as a result, you have a much more diverse um, set of armies that you will see. Uh, and in in Canada, we have players who uh, there are a lot of competitive players, but then there's players who play armies because they just enjoy playing them. Yeah, and so that really does sort of form the meta. That doesn't mean to say that we're not competitive people. Uh, it just means that we like to be competitive with different armies than you might see overseas. And I think what you just said is true also um, in the UK as well. Like people play thematic armies just just for fun, um, mm-hmm. obviously. But um, I think it's also true that like here, our, like the size of our average tournament is probably a little bit smaller, um, just because our our player base is is uh, smaller and spread out over just as big a a, a territory. Using the UK yeah. as as the example, right? And I don't no, even know point. off the top of my head what the population of Ontario is. I'd have to guess it'd probably be about twelve million. Um, something like something that. Like that. And, you know, it's in an area the same size as the UK, which is, what, 64, 65 million, something like that? Yeah, about that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, You can't even compare. You can't even... And uh, the interesting thing is when you look at the GBHL, they have, like, four leagues and a central league. Yeah. Where we kind of just have, like, the one league. And I know there's stuff starting out in, 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 uh, you know, Ontario or Ottawa and and Montreal, not to divert, uh, digress too much. Um, you know, there's stuff, there's, there's stuff starting out there, but really the, the central focus uh, of our league is, you know, the OSBGL. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Not that there's not other areas in Canada that, um, that play the game or even, even have leagues, but um, they are so far away from us that it's, you know, it'd be the equivalent of being on the other side of Europe, sort of, <laughs> if you were over there. Exactly. Yeah, so, so that's... That's what we are dealing with here. 
Yeah, no, I, I, and it's a challenge. Um, we, we, but we're still focused on trying to build that player base up. Yeah. And I also, and enjoy I'm not the game. sure if we mentioned either before, but kind of like the format of of our uh, of our show here is going to be sort of a conversational one. So uh, I think mm-hmm. we mentioned we're going to have four hosts, but um, probably won't do very much at all in the way of of interviewing. Uh, I know that several of the other podcasts and and youtube channels are uh, doing a lot of interviewing uh, of various different people on their shows and it's a very common format for for podcasting um ours will be more of a conversational because we have like four hosts uh four different people will be on the show with with our different thoughts and we'll we'll probably tend to focus more on uh on the game itself You know, you can't really have an introductory podcast without, you know, and talking about um, the Hobbit MESBG without sort of having an initial conversation and thoughts on the meta. Now, if we had started this podcast as we intended, uh, which was right at the launch of uh, the new Middle Earth strategy battle game, then uh, this initial discussion would be about, you know, how... Uh, the new rules have changed, but you know they've been out for a while, so it's more of what are our thoughts on it. You yeah, know? yeah, and it's, it's almost thoughts. like we had kind of a false start with 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 the new edition because we, it's like I don't know how many tournaments we played with with the new edition, and then we went right oh, into gosh. the whole COVID shutdown thing, and um, yeah, it's kind of like yeah. almost like a false start for for me for, I know. for this edition, but but yeah, meta. What what's meta anyway? I don't know. What well, I know as far as I understand, meta is uh, it is the the competitive scene in your particular environment, and you know when we touched on this idea that the meta in Canada will be or in Ontario, anyways, is different than in the UK. Uh, that's very true in that um, the player preferences and your player base and the attitude or um, appetite for competitiveness will drive what your meta is. You'll see some similarities between different regions, uh, but that can really change depending upon um, you know, the types of armies that people want to play versus um, the, the, the how really competitive some players are. Uh, and so for, from a meta perspective, for, you know, from, from my perspective, one of the things I noticed in our area is the imbalance of good versus evil like that has to be spoken to first and foremost Uh, and when i say good and evil i'm talking about good armies versus evil armies Uh, you know last edition we saw we saw probably more evil armies than good armies but the balance wasn't uh, too disproportional and that's mostly because of how ridiculously amazing win rates were Uh, but now with the combination of um, the meta pack or the, 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 the mission pack that just came out for tournaments and uh, the, the changes to ring rates as well as the changes to heroes in general, you see a lot more good armies. Well, it's, it's really the, it's really the in-your-face kind of change to the game. It's really sort of the driver of uh, what we're, we're referring to as the meta here. Um, 
that yeah it's like you watch even uh, even when I'm watching like international stuff you can tell um, that it's it's really disproportionate now a lot more good armies than evil mm-hmm. and there's reasons for that which which I imagine you're going to touch on well I think one of the biggest reasons is that ring race took like I don't know how many different nerfs, different ways in which they've been nerfed, but they've been nerfed so badly. They hit every branch on the nerf tree on the on the way down, basically. And then they climbed back <laughs> up and then fell down it a second time, for good measure. Uh, it just in the way that magic was, uh, how it was changed, you know, with transfix and compel and command and um, yeah, because I, I don't think the they're actual profiles, like you know, their fight and you know their number of will and all of that. I don't think that really changed all that dramatically or, or their point values. It was really the rules around them. Uh, the, the points didn't change for them per se. Some of them got more might, some of them got more will and vice versa. It more came down to the fact that almost all of them save Kamal and the Witch King lost Heroic Strike. And because Transfix and Compel, I always say Transfix and Compel because I'm so used to playing Evil last edition that that's what the Evil versions of that spell were called. They used, it used to have your fight value, right? And have your attacks. Uh, And now it doesn't have your fight value, nor does it have your attacks. It just stops you from being able to strike if you win the fight. And most good armies, I mean, I'm looking at the big heroes and I'm looking at elves, uh, have naturally a higher fight value than almost all the ring rates. And so you run into this situation where, like, yeah, I can cast Transfix from a ring wraith, from a ring wraith on a big hero, but if I can't strike up, I have to do like a heroic channel Transfix, and if they resist it, I, I'm kind of out, of out to lunch. And on top of that, you see a, you know, a greater propensity towards um, good heroes or good wizards having fortify spirit. And I say good heroes and good wizards because you've got heroes like Glorfindel and Elendil which have fortify spirit baked into their profile. And you've got such a cheap hero in Galadriel Lady of Light that just throws fortify spirit out like candy that like high tier, like top tier competitive good armies don't have an issue with offensive magic because they can litter their 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 army with um, the best defensive buff in the game. And what's the new heroic? Is it resolve? Heroic resolve. A heroic like, resolve. I, I, I yeah. really just don't understand why that rule was added to the game. Like, like evil magic. Speaking on the evil side, anyway. Like magic on mm-hmm. the evil side was nerfed so hard that it's almost like. Like, I don't think I have ever seen that heroic used in a game that I have played. No, it's and, never used. I'm just like, why did we even need that? It was almost like they were attacking a problem from two different, or not a problem, but an issue from two different directions and maybe didn't realize they didn't. They only needed to do it from one direction. And you ended up mm-hmm. with this rule that is, I don't know, maybe I, I don't understand the rule or its application well enough, but... Um, I'm not alone because I, I never see it used. It's, it's, it's right up there with Heroic Challenge. I think it's very thematic and it's extremely situational, but you just never see it. And, and I think sort of coupling this idea that magic was hammered into the ground uh, from, a, an, from an offensive perspective, you, 
you see a lot more good armies have mount options than evil armies, right? And so you've got these big heroes um, that can run a horse, and I'm sorry, horses are ridiculously, criminally undercosted for the offensive yeah. bonus they give. And totally who, who benefits most from it? Good armies. And who almost always has the opportunity to bring a lance? Good armies. Well, I think that's and the thing in the game, right? Is that that good armies have a lot of heroes, and almost well, a lot of those heroes can be mounted, and evil armies have a lot more monsters. And well, mm -hmm. um, by and large, a mounted hero with three attacks is, is a lot better and more versatile than than like a troll, let's say. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, like the like evil armies have the monsters, and there are some exceptions like Gulivar and the troll chieftain, and to a much lesser extent, Burdur. Uh, but a, any monster that doesn't have heroic strike, well, your hero is going to plow into a heroic strike with a lance, or you know, uh, bring um, Aragorn and his four plus two wound sword, and all of a sudden uh, Andril, and all of a sudden he kills the monster in one shot, and yeah. it's like, well, that's frustrating. And so what you're seeing is uh, because of this sort of like massive hit to ring raids and I haven't even talked about fell beasts and how fell beasts and monsters in general took huge nerfs in terms of hurl their biggest um, benefit hurl got hit multiple times which everyone knows about and it's made it so that ring raids um, on fell beast are a you don't see them almost at all no. nowadays I mean yeah you see them to some degree generally with the shadow lord but you just don't see them otherwise, and evil armies struggle to compete with good heroes, and good heroes win tournaments. Well, Sorry. Well, well, from a competitive side, seeing as you're talking about ring race a lot here, uh, from from a competitive side, in in my experience, anyways, um, and talking competitive here, not thematic. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking at a a competitive player who's going to be picking a ring race, it's going to be the Witch King. It's like you mm -hmm. always see the Witch King now, and it's because of the crown, right? The, the, the right. crown is just like such a good buy that if you're going to buy uh, a ring race to put in your army, it's going to be the Witch King, um, yeah. just because he's, he's the best one. Yeah. Um, and he's, he, he, in terms of cost, he, he's the best deal. He's the best deal, and the best part about him is the flexibility in choosing how much you want to put into him. Right, like all the other ring wraiths, they have a specific set of might, will, and fate. Well, for him, you can choose whatever you want. You know, he starts at zero ten zero, and he works his way up. So, whatever your uh, your your appetite for risk in terms of um, all your eggs in one basket, uh, really sort of defines him. And he also gets the Morgul blade uh, as an upgrade, which is nice because it does scare heroes. Uh, that that opportunity to sort of kill a hero almost immediately, but. You look at, like, let's say we back off a minute from the Ringwraith and we just start looking at what else is going on in this meta that sort of drives the good versus evil imbalance. And that really comes down to infantry isn't what's winning games anymore. I mean, yeah, it's a big, it's a big part of the game, uh, but it doesn't win the games. If your opponent can bring three to five heroes or even one to three heroes, and those heroes are designed to just chew through your infantry, chances are not even the most elite Urukai are going to hold up to that for very long. Mm -hmm. And you just get squashed. 
And well, that's the reality. I mean, the way you win any game like this is to apply more of your army to a smaller part of the opponent's army and destroy it and then move on. Um, and when you can put, like, let's say, four heroes on on horses that can move 12 inches, and let's just say for the sake of argument that each one is worth 100 points. So you're moving around 400 points of your army 12 inches at a time, and you can attack any part of the opponent's army that you want and destroy it and, and then move to another part. And if they don't have cavalry to match you... Um, they can't react fast enough. Like so, you know, you mentioned before that horses are are dramatically undercosted, or I think you said mounts, but let's just say horses for the sake of argument mm -hmm. are undercosted in the game. And for ten points, um, the twelve inches move is worth ten points. Alone. Well, ten inch move, ten inch move. Yeah, ten inches, Sorry, yeah. But like being able to move uh, ten inches, it's probably worth ten points. Because mobility is is also something that is really key in in the current edition of the game, um, but horses and mounts bring so much more than than just mobility. Um, giving a giving a, a three wound three attack hero uh, a mount for ten points it is like it can be killed with a single arrow. Granted. Um, but it, it literally makes that hero um, probably, what, 150% better than they, they are without it? Something like that? Now, you're the accountant. You tell me. It's closer to 50 or 60%, but when you look at like investment in ratio, a 60% increase in lethality of your character for a 10-point investment, that's a given. Like It's an automatic. You're going to take it every time. Mm -hmm. And when people say, well, it can be killed with a single arrow, well, you know, one, some missions, you're so close to your opponent, that's a moot point. There's line of sight, there's heroic marches, there's blinding light. Um, and, you, and good has options, lots of options to grab blinding light into their armies uh, or the Lady of Light equivalent. Whereas evil has one, the Shadow Lord. You know, and so because you have so many, so much flexibility with good and being able to grab, having multiple sources of these really important and powerful things, um, it, it really pushes good head and shoulders above evil. And I mean, evil's big shtick is terror and monsters, and a lot of the army bonuses for good are plus to courage, so that you're already negating yeah. evil's like one of evil's big things. Yeah. Did you want to actually talk about army bonuses? Because I know uh, I'm struggling to follow along here on, on your notes. Uh, but I know somewhere <laughs> somewhere in here you, you, you do talk about army bonuses. Uh, so sure. probably maybe a good idea to... That's actually the next point is army bonuses. <laughs> um, it, we're looking at... So there's some really clear-cut army bonuses out there. And, and, yeah, and just to quickly take a step back, army bonuses are a brand new thing in this edition. With the, and the, the point of it was to sort of get people to take single faction, be much more thematic, and then you get a sort of a competitive boost with this bonus. Which I like. Great idea. Which, Fantastic gr idea. Great idea, except not all army bonuses are equal. And, you know, you look at... For example, Corsairs, they have the backstabber special rule. When you trap a 
trapping a, an enemy and you win the fight, you get plus one to wound. Huge, considering Corsairs are a Horde-style army. And then you've got Aragion and Rivendell. I'm sure people will crucify me for the, the pronunciation of Aragion, but you get to reroll, reroll shooting hits if you stand still. Well, elves love to shoot, and when you tell them you get to reroll your hits, never thought well, now you're that, I never it. thought that was all that good on paper until I actually played against it a few times, and I was like, holy smokes, that is good. It's ridiculous. You're effectively hitting on twos, and for an army that hits on twos and wounds on sixes against defense six, seven, 14 to 16 bow shots, you will start racking up kills, and it's scary how fast that works. Especially when uh, they're, when they're uh, sitting with Kyrion in their back ranks with, with, a, uh, with a, what is it, the uh, Terror? Oh, you think Kyrdan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Kyrdan, the Terror yeah. Bubble and the... Um, His Blinding Light? Blinding Light, yeah. I was like, oh my god, I hate that model so much. And on top of that, Aura of Courage. So all of a sudden your Courage 5 Elves, even though they don't really need it, are now auto-pass on Terror Tests and Courage Tests. And yet, just, these are just some of the army bonuses that like really stand out. But then you get the situational ones, or the ones that are forgotten by players. Like, I hate to say this, Isengard. It's such a terrible army bonus. Like, it's very situational. And if you do a mixed arms Isengard army, outside of the Legendary Legion stuff, uh, it, it there's no point to the army bonus. It creates these weird situations. Or... Well, you, I, the, these army. the Isengard bonus, like, I play a lot of Isengard, so mm -hmm. it does make sense, The that army bonus. Like, from an analytical perspective, um, it, it does make sense, because the way that Isengard plays is it's an army that's basically designed to wear down its opponent. It doesn't have mm -hmm. a big hitting hero, so it's you're basically using all of the warriors and your mid-level heroes just to wear down the other guy's army. So in a fight right. where you're in a grind fight, um, having that benefit of not checking for break until 66%, well, that gives you a clear advantage because it's like they don't have that and you do. So they're going to start checking before you. However, it really doesn't work out that way in practice on the table. It just doesn't. And the other thing is that it only affects Urukai models, yeah. right? So if you start taking your Dunlending, because those heroes are phenomenal. Well, the Isengard army has been completely like turned on its head now with, with the new uh, Warren Rohan book. It's not the same right. army it was before, and that army bonus is not nearly as good as it was before because of that. Yeah, exactly. If you start taking, like, when I say a combined force, you're looking at some, let's put some smattering of some orcs, let's put some orc warg riders with Sharku, let's put some Dunlending in there. When you start putting all of that in, all of a sudden you create these situations where at 50% or just above 50% break, um, or just below 50% break, sorry, you're Dunlending and your, and your orcs have to test, yeah. but, you're, but your Urukai can't. Yeah. And so they even FAQ'd it to say if you want your Urukai heroes to test, they can, but if they fail, they run off the table. And it's like, well, this creates some really odd situations. And this is just sort of was one of the examples I wanted to grab, because I know you, you have a lot of experience with the Isengard list. And some of these other situational armies, or army bonuses, like, for example, Gondor is plus one courage. Fantastic. 
in those scenarios where you're facing against terror or when you're facing when you're going to break. But I cannot count the times where I have never used that army bonus or I have forgotten it and it has had no impact on the game. And so is that their it, only army bonus? Is it just plus one courage or that's yeah. it? Same same as um So so the funny thing is too, like Numenor. Easterlings have that same bonus. They also have another rule that goes along with it. But the plus mm -hmm. one courage, it it's only counts if you're broken. So it's like much like the Isengard rule, it's it just sort of smells like a rule that's designed to help you lose a little slower. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, Exactly, and it's almost like yeah, your 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 evil armies are going to be infantry heavy. They're going to take heavy losses from good heroes early on. But don't worry, we can keep you in the fight long enough so that eventually yeah. they'll whiff at some point, and your good yeah. infantry can we'll do keep something. You and it, long enough so that they can twenty five percent you. Exactly. And so what ends up happening is that um, you know we only talk about a couple army bonuses here, but a lot of the good armies have decent bonuses that you actually kind of want to keep. Um, or they've got so many green allies that you never really lose your bonus when you ally. Mm -hmm. Whereas with evil armies, there are so few green alliances and your army bonuses are few and far between. Like Baradur is a fantastic bonus if you've got Sauron. Um, Mordor is a really good bonus too, but then you have to, you have to really hoard out your list. You have to hoard out your list, which means you're not taking big heroes, you have to take smaller ones, and again, you're playing the grind game. And on top of that, you've got the Corsairs of Umbar uh, with their fantastic backstabbers list. But So you've got these bonuses uh, on the evil side, which are few and far between in terms of effectiveness. And so there's much more incentive for evil armies, to evil players, to just say, you know, what, I'm just going to ally, because I might as well ally and I'll start gaining bonuses uh, from the different choices um, of units I pick. Of course, red alliances were actually a big thing for evil until they nerfed that into the ground. So now you, you, you see an environment where good armies with a plethora of green alliances and reasonably strong to strong army bonuses are just putting themselves one step higher than evil armies. Um, you know, where Good armies are like, oh, I actually get this army bonus, and it's pretty cool, that's awesome. Whereas evil armies have to make their mission to either A, maximize their bonus, or just forget about it um, yeah. altogether. You know, and as we jump into the other side of army bonuses, and that's the legendary legions. And, you know, as a thought on the new meta, legendary legions originally, I think, were thought of as thematic. Uh, to some degree, there were some clear-cut winners, um, but you're seeing a lot of legendary legions leading and winning tournaments and being a consistent nuisance on the tabletop, the top tables, which just goes to show that you can play a legendary legion or a great many legendary legions and you are extremely competitive. And to throw a couple out here, we've got the Rohan legendary legion, the Riders of Theoden, and then the one with Aomer and Gandalf, uh, those are extremely strong lists. You've got the Mordor Blackgate, Legendary Legion for evil, and that's the one where you're really taking two or three Mordor Troll Chieftains. And you've got the, the Isengard Legendary Legion, the, uh, the Siege one, which allows you to take those extremely accurate ballistas 
and the bombs, which took a bit of a nerf in the most recent FAQ, but overall are like strong. And the reason why the two evil lists, the Mordor Black Gate and the Isengard list, are so competitive is because they have ways to deal with good heroes. With the Isengard list having those uh, ballistas, those really accurate ballistas to take out the heroes, or bombs, because no one wants to charge a hero in when there's an Isengard bomb leering around the corner. And you know, and you, you start saying to yourself, well, this is no longer about, um, I, I can kind of have my cake and eat it too. You know, and I'm not, again, I'm, I'm sort of pulling away from the good versus evil, evil imbalance. And I'm talking about legendary legions are a very thematic way of playing the game, and they actually are effective on the tabletop, which is nice to see. Not right? all of them, but not all of them, but a great many of them, right? Like the Army of the Dead list makes uh, Army of the Dead viable uh, much more so than before. Uh, is it top table? Maybe not, but it definitely allows you to play that Army of the Dead that came in the box set and play it to a much higher level than you could previously. Yeah, well, like but, because you can buy, you can buy the box of the three hunters, and you can buy any, and if you've got Pelennor Fields box set, I mean, you're good to go, really, right? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, you know, uh, but again, you, you, when you look at the number of good legendary legions, generally uh, outweighs the bad or the evil legendary legions from a competitive standpoint. Yeah, and, and talk and about you know what, like you mentioned. Um, you mentioned Isengard, and um, I, I forget the name of that. Is it Assault on Helm's Deep? Is that the is that the one that you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, it's the Assault on Helm's yeah, Deep like, Legendary Legion. I'm kind of hoping the the War in Rohan supplement is is kind of an indicator um, on how things are going to go because because the War in Rohan went a long way towards helping Isengard. Like it, oh, it yeah. really, really did. Like what they get three legendary legions out of it. Mm-hmm. Several new heroes. They got several new core units, all very valuable ones. Um, mm -hmm. So, so to me, it's almost like somebody has recognized what we've just been talking about and said, "Okay, we got to start fixing this situation a little bit here." Oh yeah, like I, I played Isengard. Your, you know, your pre, your post nerfed Isengard because they got hit hard uh, when the new edition came out, and I played them, uh, you know, massive bodies with uh, Saruman at a tournament, a very competitive tournament, and let me tell you, it was just a nightmare. You didn't have any tools. You didn't have the tools to do the job, yeah. and yeah, you had a really powerful wizard, but like it, it just didn't feel like an army that had teeth. Yeah, and like and I've, the, I've played games with, with the new Isengard, like quite a few, and I'll tell you something, even just adding one Crebane, or Crebane, however you want to pronounce it, into mm -hmm. your army list, it's a completely different army, just with that one unit in your army, because it, it allows yeah. you to do so much more in the way of objective grabbing. Like, it is such a huge change, just putting that one model in your army. It's ridiculous how good it is. Oh, absolutely. And it's just because um, there isn't anything like that other than Ward Riders um, in in the army list right now. So it's it's that unit alone just brings so much to the list. Right, and 
board controls everything right now it with is, the new yeah. mission packs that came out and so which is why i actually really like the wolves of isengard list and i think at lower points like maybe 600 point tournaments and lower mm -hmm. that list is going to shine I think so too. The ability to sort of charge out the gate or charge uh, coming off of um, the table quarters for Maelstrom. It, it's an army list that's going to shine and it's going to surprise a lot of people. Yeah. But we haven't seen that yet in the meta. <laughs> nope. Well, we also haven't had many times chances to play. <laughs> yeah, it's like basically not been playing for the last five months. Pretty much, yeah. So, you know, sort of continuing down the, our, my thoughts or our thoughts on the meta uh, monsters. Uh, These you know, are all your thoughts. I'm just a sounding board on this one. Oh, okay, okay. Monsters, uh, you know, they took a hit. The, the hurl took a double nerf, you know, with the D3 plus strength difference and only being able to hurl once, as well as hurling through uh, center to center bases. Uh, so I guess a triple nerf, if you would. It really lessens, um, especially for fell beasts, um, that devastating hurl effect when you pitched it down the back lines or the, the, the front lines of a, um, of, of a, I guess, a, a smash or a sortie in the center, you could hurl down the, the enemy lines, knock them all prone, and then your guys can fight down models. Well, now both sides get knocked prone. Yeah. And so it's just like, you almost never see hurl nowadays. And, uh, and I do like that change, actually, just because, it, you know, pre-new edition, the old edition, that just became sickening honestly like the way that that was just constantly used and abused and, and um i don't know like sometimes in situations like this there's so many factors and you change all of the factors and maybe you didn't need to um so mm -hmm. maybe they didn't need to change that but i i had just developed such a sour taste in my mouth for that from the previous edition that i, I just can't be unhappy that that change happened when, like, I think I'm going to sort of key in on the one comment you made, which was there are a lot of variables there, and if you change all of them, it has unintended consequences of depowering something much further than you anticipated, well, and I think that's what's happened. Well, we see that, um, we, we've seen that, like, just off topic slightly. Um, we've seen that so many times in the new edition, and, like, no offense, it's a very, very complicated thing to rewrite a, a, a rule set like and they've done a wonderful job on it so it's not it's not criticism but um mm -hmm. but mistakes are made in, in things like this and you can't get everything right and you see it a lot in the, in the current edition of rules where where you look at individual units and um they got double tapped right oh yeah and you know so an example would be um the feral urukai feral feral urukai okay so nope. it, it went from being a very good unit to never see it anymore. And the reason is because it got double tapped. Um, they uh, increased its points. So right there, mm -hmm. that was probably enough, right? Yep. But, the, but then they made the unit worse too, right? So because, because they've, they've hit it twice, it's just nobody plays it. Like unless you're trying to be thematic, you're not going to play it, but then it's like a, a GW invented model, so it's not really a thematic model, so you just never see it. Mm -hmm. You know, and the same yeah. thing happened with several other units in the game too, but we won't get into that right now. Exactly. You know, you look at the, the 13 point Feral Urukai with Defense 4, yeah. when it was 12 points in Defense 5, and it's just like, 
one or the other and you went with both and it's like mm -mm. but anyways like you see a lot of things like that and as you start to go through um, the various changes to the meta and so sort of that's how it's kind of cool in that you're able to we're having this conversation now six to seven months later from when the meta launched or from the new edition launched you see the effects of how that changed people's mindset in terms of which armies they want to play which units they want to play and you know this is the outcome having this kind of a conversation uh, I will say with regards to heroic actions right out the gate it was heroic strike everything heroic strike if you could bring a hero that had a heroic strike, you were set. And the interesting thing we're seeing now is if you don't have the ability to move fast, you need to be bringing heroic march. And this is, it's, it's hitting both sides, both good and evil, but evil has more tools to sort of mitigate this with drums uh, for some armies. And a lot more evil armies have march readily available in some of their lesser named heroes, whereas Good heroes don't, they have to sort of dip into that unnamed captain, but you need it because the new mission pack is all about port control. Well, I mean, Very when, you, rarely. when you look at you look at armies, and I do it too when I'm putting together a list for a tournament, I mean, pretty much every hero either has strike or march. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe there's the odd one that doesn't, but that's what I look for. Yeah, you have to. and. If you can pick up a couple with strike that have other attributes, that's great. But if you gotta have one or two that have the mark. So yeah, finishing up on the hero section um, with regards to hero centric um, lists and all of that stuff. I think the last two points there are that the elven lords, the ones we're seeing, the Glorfindel, the Elrond, the Gilgalad, uh, they're incredibly strong because of their Lord of the West special rule. Because they're yeah, all definitely seeing, uh, definitely seeing a lot more of Elrond now than you ever did before. That's for sure. Oh my God! To the point where he was specifically targeted for some serious nerfs because he was just so good. You you yeah. could you could have him on a horse, and they would charge in with five dice on a dual roll, and their five you know their fight six seven eight nine, and it's just like you're never losing a fight with them, right? The odds are so stacked against you. And so that this idea that um, if you swarm these heroes with enough infantry, eventually they'll fail rolls, that's not the case with Elven Lords. So I mean, what is evil, what can evil do to sort of counter that? Um, in terms of just like hero versus hero matchups, they've got big stuff like Sauron and Balrog. But unfortunately those monsters, well, you know, have some built-in anti-magic, are incredibly cost prohibitive and they don't have mounts. So your opponent can bring three or four heroes um, for the equivalent cost of one of those characters. And let me tell yeah, you... It, it, seems, it, it seems to be like in, in the current edition, uh, and I guess in, in the previous edition too, uh, it, it seems like the evil side is just, is just quite light on the typical mounted hero, like, you know, with the, the mm -hmm. hero with threes in all the right places. Um, you know, the, the heroes that are currently just dominating the game right now, uh, and, and Evil is really short on that type of model. They do have their own heavy hitters, but like you said, they're, they're point sinks. Yeah, I mean, you get the stuff like the Azog and the Balg, but you're looking at Hobbit lists and they don't ally with anything from the, uh, from the Lord of the Rings army side.
So anyways, um, that was another thought we've seen, um, or another uh, topic we've seen. Uh, and then I guess the last one is shooting. Oh man, shooting is becoming devastating in this edition. You, yeah. um, you know, especially with the Gondor at War coming out and with the, uh, the War at Rohan coming out, um, shooting lists are incredibly prevalent. Um, you know, you've probably got 20 lists out there that can either run 50% bow limit or 100% bow limit. And you've got stuff like um, the Isengard Legendary Legion, the Assault on Helm's Deep one, where they, the super accurate um, ballistas and the, and the ridiculous amounts of um, crossbows because they can hoard out their, their stuff. And, and it just, because finding a model with blinding light is very expensive, outside of a couple things, like, like Galadriel Lady of Light, and the Kirdan nerf, where he's not able to be included in a lot of lists anymore, um, you're going to see shooting, or you, we do see shooting right now, is um, scaring a lot of armies, you know? Yeah, and thank God that Kirdan has been nerfed. <laughs> oh my God. I absolutely detest that model. It is... It is the fun sucker of all models. It is the model designed to prevent your opponent from playing the game. Like, ugh. Like, I don't mind... So happy to see that guy get nerfed. I know. Like, I don't mind seeing him get nerfed to the point where he's only included in Elven lists, like uh, High Elf lists, like the Aerogeon and Rivendell lists. That makes sense, because thematically he only dealt with them. But... You, you see him pop up in like a Shire list, or you see him pop up in a Gondor list, and you say to yourself, okay, this is getting a bit silly. Yeah, well, he's started to become like Alfred used to be, right? Like, exactly, yeah. It's like, come on, give me a break with this guy. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so, what does that mean, um, I guess what just to sort of sum it all up, what does that mean sort of as general thoughts, uh, the, the TLDR <laughs> version of this whole long-winded discussion um, and that's mobility is big um, mounted heroes on mass especially on the good side are a, a threat or extreme threat um, so if you are if you're bringing out the guns uh, you need the um, you need anti-hero options you if you don't have it mass infantry is not an anti-hero option you need other things um, like what Isengard can bring with the Dunlending heroes or a Bat Swarm or two. Uh, and you need that max shooting like we talked about, because right? shooting is so strong on this list. Any final yeah, and thoughts? Like you said, like it, like the, it's just, it's a funny thing because, um, you know, you already mentioned that uh, blinding light and the like are, are much more difficult to, to get now. Um, or, or I guess more difficult to, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, to spread around like different alliances and, and, and whatnot. Um, but the funny thing now is, is that it, in tournament play, at least in, in, in our scene, uh, where you're not playing tournaments that are strictly good versus evil, it's, you know, come what may, good versus good, evil versus evil. And seeing as there's so many more good armies, like quite often the matchup is good versus good, um, which which does mean for some strange things for for the shooting game. 
but yeah, I would I would agree with your your summary there on on the main points of. You're seeing, um, you know, just to really touch on, on one kind of unique thing that popped out quite recently. I say quite recently, I'm referring to five months ago before the whole, you know, COVID thing upended our tournament scene. <laughs> <laughs> um, you're seeing um, EVIL actually do quite successful with micro warbands. Um, and that's where you're, you're not claiming a central point on the board to fight, you're just saying, you know what, I'm going to disperse my whole army across the table in every which way, and good luck mm -hmm. beating me, because I'm going to play the mission, and I'm going to play the board. Yeah, well, that's what I played. Like, Isengard was was the, you know, the, the micro warband army, like we, you know, we've all probably heard the Green Dragon episode from a couple of years ago uh, about that, and, and that list was was really built well for, for that strategy, because of the the number of mid-tier heroes that they have well now that um the warren rohan has come in they they just put that in overdrive right because they had like two more really good mid-range heroes added to their list and uh yeah i played that at, at our first tournament this year and I played, what was it, like probably, was it 700 points? I can't yeah, quite remember, but I, I had a list with 17 might in it. And it was like, oh my god, just so much candy. Oh, so yeah. much fun to play with that list. I've never experienced anything like it before, so much might <laughs> like that. Uh, and I was shocked. I, like, I just took it as kind of a, yeah, I'll see how it goes. I want to test out you know, Frida and uh, Gorolf and see how they do. And oh my God, they're so good, so mm -hmm. good. And I was shocked I won all four of my games. I didn't win the tournament, um, but yeah, I managed to, to squeak out a couple of the games, but four, four wins with that army, it was a big surprise. Yeah, I mean, we've seen- Especially we've seen for other, me. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, we've seen some other players bring or start to bring the micro warband idea with evil because evil can't evil can't stand toe to toe with good in, in, in many lists. So if you're bringing the the micro warband with the anti-hero options, with the magic or the shooting, um, you know, and the mobility, good struggles with that. They want your standard straight up line on line uh, combat where their heroes can grind the evil town. Yep. Alrighty. Okay, in this section of the episode, we're going to be uh, getting some listener involvement happening. Well, not in this episode, because obviously it's our first episode. Um, mm -hmm. But what this is going to be called is All That Is Gold Does Not Glitter. And what the idea of this segment is is we are going to ask a question to the listeners each episode and hopefully we will have some listeners to answer us back uh, on our email address we'll give that at the end of the the episode um, and each week uh, we will read the answers to the previous question that the listeners have given uh, and throw in our own opinions and, as well. And what this is going to be is kind of um, 
a top five, if you will, uh, that type of thing. It doesn't have to necessarily be the top five or even five. It could be the bottom three or whatever, or, or just your favorite. Um, but you'll see what we're talking about uh, as we go along here. So obviously this time we don't have any listener feedback to go by. So what we're going to do is we're just going to ask ourselves a question and, and talk it out uh, to give you an idea of what we're going to be doing with this uh, section. So maybe Drew can ask the, uh, ask the first question in All That Is Gold Does Not Glitter. Oh, I'm so excited. Here we go. <laughs> so the first question I pose to you, Don, is what are the models that got nerfed the hardest in the current edition? So models whose rules or profiles got hit the hardest from the last edition to the current edition. Oh, yes. And there are uh, quite a few. Quite a few. Mm -hmm. And I know you have a, you have a big favorite here. So oh, why, don't, yes. why don't you actually start off? Because I know you feel passionately about it. Oh, yes. My favorite model that nerfed, which caused me to... Um, to divest myself of that entire army is the ring wraith. How I love thee. How I count the ways in which I had so much fun last edition playing with all nine of them in various ways. It got nerfed into the bloody ground so bad. The ring wraith took at least, I don't even know how many nerfs, one from magic and transfix and compel, no longer being able to have attacks and have fight value. Um, two, the ring race no longer having heroic strike as base, except for the Witch King or Kamal. And the, the duelist of duelists, I don't even remember his name. That's how, how bad I, I feel about him. The person who could mimic your attack values. Uh, and he was nerfed so badly, he doesn't even have heroic strike. He, he, totally unusable as, as a ring race. And on top of that, their steeds, the mighty steeds, the fell beasts, took like five friggin' nerfs in a row. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like, ugh. Yeah. One, they can't hurl more than once. Two, the hurl is extremely um, specific directionality. Three, the hurl is D3 plus um, strength differential, which is much lower than D6. Four, yeah, no. if they hurl through a frontline combat, both sides get knocked down and both sides take damage. And so it's just like all the benefits of having the ring rates be there. Those assassins yeah. extraordinaire just crippled. So now like that's not a single model. That That's like numerous profiles, but they're all kind of, you know, they're all it's kind the of profile. sort of category, right? And, and right. in that case there, um, it wasn't really their profile or their points that that got nerfed hard. It was all the rules that, that surround that, that model, right? Mm -hmm. Like the profile yeah, itself, it, like the profile itself, actually in some ways got better. Like some of the race profile-wise, might will and fate got better, so they actually improved. Um, it was the only real hit to their profile was that all of their special abilities now take a will point to use, right? Whereas before they could yeah. just, it was on all the time. Mm -hmm. And that was the real big hit to the profile. But to everything else, all the other things that they did were, were nerfed uh, by indirectly. So they just, they went from like 
a monstrous Tyrannosaurus, Tyrannosaurus Rex to like not being able to bite anymore and using those flimsy front hands to do something. <laughs> So you're, you were talking there about a lot of the named ring race, but it's also yes. the unnamed that are affected like mm-hmm. just as bad. You know, the named ones, yeah, they got they got hit yet again by having to use a point of will to use their special ability. But I mean, that you know, that's not to exclude the unnamed ring race. You you just don't see ring race anymore like you used to. That's for sure. No, I mean so that's. I mean, originally I, I pondered the strategy of like bringing several unnamed ringwraiths and just constantly casting transfix on big heroes, but magic defense is so prevalent, and you know mid-tier hero spam is so strong that even bringing three ringwraiths is a waste of time because your opponents can have five heroes. Like, well, not only that, but they even introduced a new heroic, heroic resolve, which, which is oh. like a further nerf. It's like got nothing to do really with ring race, but it's another indirect nerf of, of all magic, uh, using. Uh, oh yeah, heroes like, in the game. I was like, oh my god, and I, I don't recall off the top of my head if, if one of the Rohan heroes has heroic resolve, but if they do, you just pair them with Gamling. And then you have permanent heroic resolves around your your three or four big combat heroes, and it's like, yeah, good luck getting a, a spell cast off them. <laughs> okay, well that that was a long one. That the, the, the very first one. I'll go with an easier one. And we already we already mentioned this right off the top. And in this case here, it's another model which, uh, like the the change between editions has has removed this model from the tables, and that's Isengard's Feral Urukai. You know, it like I, I think I mentioned this earlier in the episode, and it 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 got the double tap. It it went up in points, and it got worse. Uh, you know, it, its defense dropped, and it got a point added to it. So that that's the death knell right there. I mean, and the bottom line is that if you're gonna pay 13 points for a feral urukai, well, you're not. You're gonna pay two more points and take a take a berserker, right? Yeah, that that's basically what it is. You still see berserkers on the table, surprisingly, kind of, um, uh, but you don't see feral urukai anymore. No, you don't. And I mean, I have ten feral urukai which have never seen the light of day since the edition change, and I regularly fielded them in the previous edition because I love them. Twelve points, def- defense five, yeah. two attacks, couldn't go wrong. Amazing. And then the edition change came along, and it was like, well. Defense four. Yeah. All right. <laughs> they've they've got the same they've got the same problem as Iron Guard have in the Kazad dumb list, and that is they walk around with a giant bullseye on their forehead now because they're an even numbered defense, um, and they're like lower than everything else in the army, and they have two attacks. Like everybody just immediately targets them with shooting, and, and so they're usually dead before the the melee starts. So anyway, that's mine. Feral Urukai. Okay. All right. I'm Back actually going to gonna con- I'm gonna continue in the same vein. And we're going to stick with Isengard. The Urukai Berserker. I'm going there. Mm-hmm. He didn't get hit as hard as the Feral Urukai. But <sighs> he was Defense 6, Courage 7. Fantastic model. And then they cut away one of his defense. So he's now defense five. Uh, let me tell you, a drop from defense six to defense five is 
is, is pretty crippling, you know, especially when you keep the points value the same. And then they, they said, well, we'll give you oblivious to pain. Six up, feel no pain. My God, on a 15 point model, I'm never going to be relying upon that to save my character. Yeah, yeah, no. And then they gave this, oh, well, we'll give you back the six defense, but for bow shooting. Mm-hmm. Who cares? <laughs> Who cares? It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, like it's, it's, a th- it's a meant to be a thematic rule, and I do like that rule. I do like that rule because it is, it is thematic, right? You see when Legolas puts a couple of arrows into the one uh, running up with the torch and everything, and he doesn't go down. So it's cool. I do like that rule, but the, the net result of all that, and I play this army a lot. So mm-hmm. um, in, in the old days, you just wanted you just wanted to get your berserkers in, into combat, and then you didn't worry about them anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Now, you, it's the same thing. They still have basically have a six defense um, until you get into melee, because they're six against shooting. But as soon as you get into melee, they die like that's the big difference now is as soon as you start fighting with them well they they die like whereas before they didn't used to they used to be far more resilient than they are now Mm -hmm. i mean they also i'm not even finished talking about all these wonderful things that they were given that necessitated the points to remain the same they also got this wonderful two-handed sword that if they decide to whirl they still get reduced to fight one and I have not seen anybody whirl. I would not whirl with a 15-point model. I would never do that. I'm always yeah. guaranteed to, get, to lose the model. And so, uh, like, as I look at the, the Urukai Berserker, I say to myself, what can I do to keep this guy on the table? Well, that means two pike support from behind, maybe a banner, get five dice on a duel. Cool. How many points am I investing to keep this 15-point model around? that like my opponent could roll up a hero and just go with it with a lance and then he's gone it's just they took a big hit to the point i am with you because i have 10 of these guys they do not see the light of day (laughs) yeah i have a bunch of them too and i still have uh i think i've still got three of them uh that are primed and ready to paint and i think they'll be sitting in my primed box for quite a while yeah so back over to you okay back to me and this is a little bit of a different one and it's debatable because like it really it did get hit but it didn't get hit quite so hard as the other one but the net effect of what they did to this model has really removed it from the tables and i think probably part of that is um, its position in the army lists, and that is the son of Eorl for um, Rohan. Okay, so yeah. it went down actually in points. It went down two points. So you would think, well, why is it in the list if it got cheaper? Well, of course, um, it lost pure blood steed, so it used to be able to move 12 inches. Um, so now it can only go 10, just like a normal. Uh, horse and it of course it lost one attack which was huge and instead gained uh, a special rule which is uh is it riders of Vioral special i think it's riders of Vioral, and so yeah. they get plus one attack within six inches of Vioral the young so it's it's in the same line as some other effects that go on in uh, the Rohan army. So in that sense, they've sort of brought it in line with with other things. Um, 
but what's happened now is that you only really can take those or people will generally only take those models at least on mass when they're playing Eorl the Young and Eorl the Young cannot appear in an army list with any of the other named Rohan heroes well Rohan is probably if not the strongest army in the game now it's definitely at the very top somewhere mm -hmm. right and it's at the top not because of Yorl the Young but it's because of all of the other awesome army lists that 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 they can put together whether they're a legendary legion or not uh, and they all rely on the other heroes mm -hmm. so like how often out of 10 times playing Rohan armies will one of them be Earl the Young or none of them? And I don't know if you'll even see one. Yeah, I mean, the, the points that the, the Earl the Young, um, sorry, the, the Sons of Earl are at is specifically pointed for a two attack model. But to really, in, to really get full advantage of the two attacks, you have to say goodbye to pretty much the heart and soul of the Rohan army, which is all of their heroes. And Yorl yeah. the Young is no Helm Hammerhand. That guy no. is a beast. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. we're not here to talk about models that are awesome. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's mine. That, that's my entry. A little bit of a different one, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, so my entry, this next one might be a little controversial, uh, but I'm going to go with the, the Gundabad Black Shield, the old, uh, the, the, the old front rank, Moria. Uh, the Moria Gundabad Black Shield, that's right, uh, the ones with the pelts, the, uh, the, the Warg Marauder pelts on their backs. I know someone that would agree with you wholeheartedly, and his name is Travis. Oh yes, he was so angry when he saw what happened to them. And it comes down to the fact that they kept defense six, but they lost strength four, and they remained the same point cost. And yeah. there's some critical um, thresholds that certain infantry have where they like skyrocket into good um, or drop down into sort of average or mediocrity. And strength mm -hmm. three to strength four is, a, is one of those thresholds. Because yep. if you can bring a mass strength three model to the table, or mass strength four model to the table, uh, especially mm -hmm. with Moria, you've got a really solid core. Because Moria has a lot of fantastic tricks that you can sort of work around it. But when you're taking, I think, what is it, an eight point model that's strength three, defense six, and courage three, and then I mm -hmm. look over at the, the chaff of the army, which is the Moria Goblin at five points, and he's one point defense less, and then one less point of courage. I say to myself, for I could save a point just to get a Moria Goblin, and the courage yeah. is irrelevant because I could just take a Balrog, and I get immunity to courage. So well, now, yeah, in the Moria army now, the thing that you really want your goblins there for are numbers. You, you, right. just, you just need a lot of them. Is is basically what you need. Exactly. You know, and and. And just you, you don't see the black shields anymore. And I recall, you know, in our meta pre-edition change, you saw many Moria lists out there, not not just run by Travis, but run by others. And and the the Moria Gundabad black shield uh, was very prominent in those lists uh, in, in numbers. 
Yeah, definitely would agree with you on that one. That's for sure. Sir, over you. Okay, mine is uh, also sticking with the same army as sticking with Moria, and it is the Warg Marauder. Okay, here's another model, another model for me that actually went down in points. It went down five points. So it used to be 35, and it is now 30. But oh my god, it became, it's still a good model. You still mm -hmm. do see it. Uh, I will say that. It is, it is still a decent model. When but compared to what it used to be, it is nowhere near. And I think, like, I think its point value of 30 right now is is probably fair for what it can can do which means in the old version it was under costed at 35 um, but it certainly doesn't compare to what it used to be and that's because it now has the combined profile rule um, mm -hmm. so basically now instead like you could you can dismount uh, the riders on, on the uh, warg marauder now Whereas before you couldn't, if you knocked it down, it would just get up and maintain its three wound profile. Right mm -hmm. now, it, like as the goblins, like it can still get as many attacks as it used to, but as the goblins die, it, it gets a reduced number of attacks correspondingly, which is a good rule. I do like it. Um, but now the fact that it, it can get knocked prone and, you know, it's you no longer have a cavalry model now and you have like a bunch of goblins on the ground um yeah it, it doesn't compare anymore to the old model for well, sure uh, it's not only getting knocked prone i mean if someone shoots at you and they happen to roll the, the horse roll one to three on the in the way test and they kill the yeah. warg well now you have no cavalry model yeah and it's it's the thing like this has gone on in games workshop games for a long time and that is that models multi-wound models are so good because you know if in this case you have three wounds well you can do th two wounds to it and it's still just as effective as as it is when it's had three wounds so mm -hmm. um you know now it's not like that anymore i do prefer the new version because i think it's a better um cluster of rules or however you would describe it um but it is definitely a lot weaker than it was before mm -hmm. uh, there are you know it's opened up um some tricksy uh play you can have with it now uh, because it's no longer a singular profile and i pulled this off a, a tournament or two which is um oh gosh um with the uh orc warg rider and that's, you know, like in a, in a recon mission, when you're racing to the edge of the board, just dismount. One model becomes mm -hmm. potentially four. And then you can walk four models off the table, and those four models are really huge in recon. Um, yeah. Or, you know, when you want to sort of get numbers on an objective and it's the last turn of the game, well, what do you do? You dismount, and all of a sudden you now have three, potentially four models sitting on an objective. So where your opponent was like, oh, I've tied you on an objective, now they've lost the objective. So mm -hmm. it, it opens up some tricksy play, but when it comes to sheer um, staying power, the Warg Marauder has definitely lost a lot of power in that regard. Um, it also, because if you shoot with the bows on the back of the Warg Marauder, they can't actually engage in the combat. So if you shoot twice, and you charge in, you only get, what is it, one attack on the charge, two attacks on the charge, instead of mm -hmm. their four. 
Whereas in the previous edition, you could shoot in combat while you're fighting and still get the maximum number of attacks. Yeah, yeah, the combined, the like the old profile. Yeah, it was mm -hmm. it was definitely superior. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay, uh, I think it's over to me. It is. And I have one you don't one you don't normally see on the tabletop too often. Um, just because his value isn't normally seen by a lot of players, but he definitely still took a hit, and that is Tom Bombadil. And the reason I say he took a hit between editions, and a big hit at that, is he gained will. Whereas before he had infinite everything, he could walk into combat, push you out of combat, you'd never win against him, and he could cast on a two-up a spell that could replenish might, will, fate, and wounds to his allies. Well, now he has, I think it's 15 or 16 will, and every time he casts a spell, he's got to burn a will point. Every time he's in combat, he's got to burn a will point. And so you get this, this, what happens is with Tom, where before he could cast that spell eight, nine, ten times, and be in combat eight, nine, ten times, and be doing just fine, you find that if you start doing that, after turn six or seven of that, he's gassed, and he can't contribute anymore. And you're paying for a model that, um, that's his gimmick, that's what he contributes, that's what he does, because he can't kill models. So he has to be able to produce equivalent might and equivalent um, tanking power, or I guess if you wanna call it, um, to make up his point value. And so him slowly decaying over the course of a game, especially in longer, uh, longer games, like the two, two and a half hour games, he'll, gas himself very quickly and yeah he just lo he just loses a lot of value in that sense unfortunately yeah did he actually remain the same number of points or, or he remained the same number of points but his um how he works changed he became a spirit model who um degrades like any other spirit model that's in combat so do you think that like a lot of turn at least in in our scene here he's pretty much banned from almost every tournament like right. there is the odd one where he's allowed but do you think that was the reason for that is because he's like the old profile was so good quote unquote that like he was literally banned from almost every tournament so they changed the rules that maybe let him see a little bit more table time uh, in tournament play i think so um i think a lot of players um, that didn't really understand how to sort of box him out without being in his control zone um, it really struggled with Tom uh, and I personally have played against him a couple times, several times actually um, I didn't find him too overwhelming personally um, mm -hmm. but him being able to stand on an objective and go none of you can come within an inch of me or him being able to stand on, um, you know, the relic when you have to dig up the one you have to dig up in the center of the board. Him just being able to walk onto it and be like, you can't come within an inch of this. It's now my team's my, uh, relic, uh, or other such um, situations. Because you could do that indefinitely, it made for some really. He sucked the fun out of the game. Yeah, he is another fun sucker. He is a fun vacuum in ways in which people don't see, apparent. It's not very apparent. And so I see why they did that with him. 
Um, and I, I think that's a, it was a good change on GW's behalf, but it's still, he, he took a big hit. Right, right. So, sir, do you have your last one? Over to me, over to me. Yeah. Uh, yes, my last one. It's, it's a truly, truly epic warrior. Like a mighty fighter of the Middle Earth. And it is the proud, the noble ruffian. Oh, yes, the, ruffian the ruffian laid low by the monstrous hobbit in the books. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> this, this unit is, this is my entry for the top spot. It, it, it is. It's like we're talking, we're talking about mice here, right? But uh, this unit got so heavily nerfed in so many ways that it is not really part of the competitive game anymore, let alone the meta. It's just, it's been removed. And like, I, I did, um, on the OSBGL YouTube channel, I do the odd video. And um, I did a few on Battle Company Breakdown, which talks about them. And I did this one kind of for fun because um, this this Battle Company in, uh, in battle companies or this faction rather it's so bad right it's just so bad um and it's because of what's happened to the ruffian so basically what happened to it is it went up a point Ooh, like devastating went up a point oh my god well well because when you think about it like any changes that affect points when you're talking about the little puny models in the game that are only worth four points and you're increasing it by a point, it's increasing the cost by 25%. Mm -hmm. You know, the net effect of, of losing that point is that in, in a sizable army, you're probably losing 20 models because, mm -hmm. the, because they went up by 25%, right? It's yep. a huge, huge impact increasing a four point model up to five points like it sounds silly honestly doesn't it but but really it it is it is devastating to that model's uh performance in in the game and not only that but like the feral urukai like their profile got worse they lost uh, a point of fight and a point of shoot so like a lot of the time before you used to see these models all the time in Isengard army as archers because they had to shoot four with a human bow. So it was like, okay, I'll take, you know, I'll take a few of them and they can be objective holders or whatever and still like participate. Right. Well, not only that, they got removed from the Isengard list on top of it too. So you don't uh. see them anymore in Isengard lists. So, um, so they did get a couple of special rules uh, and one of them is increases their fight value, but it's only versus hobbits. And so, like, how many armies are there in the game now? It's like, like I don't know, I don't even know how many armies are, there are in the game. But even assuming there's like, say, forty armies, there's probably a lot more. But assuming there's forty armies, that means you have a one in forty chance of having a special rule that'll kick in and give you plus plus one fight, which is yeah. good if it happens. It's good right but the fact that it's so low of a chance of having them come up against the shire army it's it's worthless really in terms of points it's not worth anything in terms in terms of points so their fight value is two and their shoot value is five plus yes for five point model yeah and they got yeah they went up a point it's it like 
Just uh, devastating. Compare that like to the, compare that to a Goblin Town Goblin who's four well, points. Well, Goblin Town Goblin Town Goblin is not a good example because that that model is is undercosted. A yeah, better example much. is an is an orc. Like it's this like a ruffian is the same value now as an orc, and it is nowhere near as good as an orc. Nowhere mm-hmm. near as good as an orc. So hobbits themselves retained their three plus shoot value, correct? Their bows just became shorter range. Yes. The only thing yeah. that happened to hobbits was they went up a point. Right. But their bows went down because they have hobbit bows, not human bows. Correct. So but it's like the ruffian list now is like that horde list, right? So it's like your 60 mm-hmm. model list. So who cares if you have 20 bows that hit on a 4 plus? Hobbits have the exact yeah. same thing, but they hit on a 3 plus. Like, yeah, it's not a 4 plus, it's, it's a 5 plus. But I'm saying, like, because they increased to a... Like, you should have just left it alone. Like, why change the shoot value? Like, it, it wasn't yeah, I don't winning the game. And it's, it's like they did come out with a legendary legion, and one of the rules in the legendary legion is that um, their shoot value will go up to four plus, I think, but only with whips. And like, it's like, okay, it's a whip, it's a strength one weapon. You know, it's, yeah, it, it's any rule that you can give them is good. Um, but like the legendary legion for for them is it's still like they're still the worst army in the game even with the with the legendary legion the mm-hmm. only the only thing they can still fight against effectively with the legendary legion is the shire right and what did the shire get they can throw stones at 8 inches by stooping yeah, well, the the shire got splat with like all kinds of new heroes and and rules like they're still they're st- still in the meta they're still decent um i mean the ruffians did get three new models which i bought because they're they're great models um mm-hmm. <clears throat> just finishing painting them now actually um but they certainly don't save the the legendary legion like you know no. what you do have is it sid briarthorn i think he counts as a banner but like he's gonna die like really fast he's got like a really low he's got one fate two wounds and a really low defense i think he's still a three so it's like it's not like he's like thror you know Mm -hmm. it's like he's gonna go is that guy a banner yeah okay he's gonna die yeah and and the funny thing is they they certainly created the ruffians to mirror their uh, middle earth uh, book counterparts because a shire list would probably thump them quite handedly I think so, yeah. I don't know, I haven't played enough uh, of that matchup to know, but uh, yeah, it's, that, that's, my, that's my personal choice for the top spot for, for this question. Yeah, well, you already know my personal choice. It's the Ring Wraith. It, it, it was yeah. a, a meta-defining uh, series of models, and mm-hmm. it has, you now see a significant shift in the meta, and in large part because they are not in it anymore. Yeah. Or they're Isn't not as funny? dominant as they used to be. Yeah, two evil models are our top picks. Yeah, you surprise. Know, not that the ruffian <laughs> was a big part of the meta before, mind you, but still. Still. So, uh, do you happen to have our question for next week for the listeners? Hopefully we get one listener. <laughs> uh, yes, I do. You want me to want me to throw it out there? Yeah, give it a whirl. Okay, so it's it's kind of the 
inverse of of this question that we asked and and so it is from the previous edition to this current edition what units in the game improved the most so whether they're like maybe their points went down or they had like a whole bunch of new special rules added or they got a better profile so that's that's our question for for the next episode so this send your entries into our email address which i do not know off the top of my head and which i will frantically is, try to find it i can figure i can let you know it is north of the shire podcast one the number one at gmail.com so north as in the direction of the shire podcast one at gmail.com and we're done can you believe that 100 minutes down yeah. first episode in the books <laughs> yeah now we know how uh you know i often hear about other people recording podcasts over several nights and it's like i never really realized how difficult it would be to uh like sit down and get it all done all in one sitting but oh my god this is what our third one yeah this is our third sitting yeah yeah <laughs> oh my god and it's just like <laughs> as you're recording it you want to listen to your sound levels and you're just like work in progress this is work in progress yeah and we know we're gonna have like what what you were commonly referred to as the dark episodes we're gonna have our dark episodes that you know like right now we don't have a lot of like sound bites and you know a lot of the trimmings but like i i kind of have an analogy for that and it's like you know when you move into your like your first house or your first apartment mm -hmm. and like you, you've got like you know no pictures on the walls and you know, like like no furniture in there you know that's kind of where we are now we're like we're in a it's a hobbit hole like we're in a, like an empty hobbit hole it's like all we've kind of got to to offer is is the welcome mat at the front door so hopefully over time we'll we'll spruce it up a little bit i i i i, I picture it as we've walked in the in the hobbit hole we just bought it i see a tremendous amount of promise but a lot of cobwebs <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, but it's like we have been we have been um, talking about doing this for for years. Whether it would have been a YouTube channel or or like an audio podcast, like like what we've ended up with here. Um, and I was I was reading part of Lord of the Rings the other day, and I came across this line, and I thought, oh, this is kind of an interesting line. And it's during the um, section with Treebeard, and it, it says it seemed now as sudden as the bursting of a flood that had long been held back by a dike and it's like that that sort of reminds me it's like you know we've been we've been talking about this for so long and come up with ideas of stuff we could talk about and and whatever and now it's like it's finally happening mm -hmm. and it's like as you said it, it's happening but it's happening in like this great rush and you're just like yep <laughs> We've hit the ground sprinting. <laughs> yeah, now we actually have to come up with a second episode and a third. Oh, God. Okay, I think we can do it. <laughs> well, you got anything else uh, to, to no, throw out there, no. or is, is that it? I think that's it for the first episode, for me anyways. What about you? Okay, like, let me let me end with this and see if any of our, if our listeners can... Can, can sort of like figure out where, I, where I'm coming from with this, okay? So it's time for us to ramble on. It's time we were on our way. Thanks to you, we're obliged for such a pleasant stay. But now it's time for us to go. 
See you next time right here on North of the Shire.